0: So thrilled and blessed to have Pastor Luke Leduc as he leads us in the Word of God tonight. Luke, blessing. Good evening. It's a delight to be with you all uh, this evening. Uh, A great joy to uh, further and deepen the friendship and the relationship that uh, your daughter church, Keith called us your sister church. That may be a bit of a stretch. Uh, but your daughter church, for sure. Uh, I'm delighted to be here and to bring you greetings from Wheatland. God has been so gracious to us. This is uh, this month marks my tenth year there at Wheatland, and my third. Uh, yes, next month we'll finish up my third year as the senior pastor. As Bruce and I transitioned, we swapped roles there a number of years ago. So, um, greetings from Wheatland. Thank you all for your love and care and support over the last nearly 25 years now since Wheatland was planted out of this congregation. Uh, Keith is right. I am French Canadian, and um, that means the French don't like you, and neither do the Canadians. So, um, but yes, thanks for smoking me out on that, Keith, here this evening. Our text this evening is from Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. I'll read our text and pray, and then we will uh, dive right in. Brothers and sisters, let's pray together. Father, we praise you for the opportunity to be gathered on this day that you have created for us to worship and to rest and to hear you uh, with all of our energy speaking to us in the pages of your word. Thank you that you are a God that speaks, that you have not left, left us as your children uh, orphans, but you in the glorious gift of your word and the powerful sending of your spirit, continue your work of speaking and guiding us as your children open our hearts to that very thing this evening as we've gathered father open your word um, may it open us in new ways and may we leave here this evening having encountered the presence of the risen Jesus by the power of your spirit in Christ's name we pray all of this amen friends hear these words the word of God from Romans 12 1 through 5 are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. What's a body for? What is your body for? That's the question that I'm asking us to reflect upon this evening as we seek to reimagine what it is that we as the church are meant to do in the world. It may seem to you this evening as an odd question to begin that contemplation. What does your body have to do with the spiritual kingdom of God and the mission of God's church in the world? Well, in much of our thinking... If we're being honest, the answer is, well, almost nothing. And the blame belongs squarely on us, for the most part, that is, the church. As the church, we have expended a lot of energy getting spiritual. by that, I mean busy saving souls and getting hearts right with God, maybe phrases that you're familiar with from your years in church. We've spent far less time and attention on getting physical, almost completely ignoring what your body means for what Paul calls here in in Romans 12, your life of spiritual worship. Mostly, the church has been silent and assuming about what your body is for in the way that perhaps many of our parents assumed we would figure out the birds and the bees on our own. And when the church has talked about the body, it has been so infrequent and so sufficiently sort of generalized That often it has come across as awkward as perhaps your parents' first attempt to share with you the mystery and the glory of human sexuality. And, And when we in the church have finally spent some time talking about the human body, our message... Has not begun with Paul's language here that we see in Romans 12 that follows all of his grand theological treatise that he walks uh, the Roman church through in Romans 1 through 11. It doesn't, we have often not spent time describing bodies as holy and acceptable to God. Our message is rather focused on what we must not do with our bodies. But if the church is the body of Christ, if the church is the body of Christ in the world, if that is our fundamental orientation and identity as the church, then a positive understanding of what a body is for becomes absolutely necessary and central to what that body does here in the world. And I think for me, this is what makes Romans 12 so remarkable and remarkably relevant as we build upon the reality of the church as the body of Christ. Paul's starting point for understanding our physical bodies that are being redeemed by Christ is, as he says here in the first few verses of Romans 12, that they, our bodies, become holy and acceptable to God when they're offered up as living sacrifice for one another and for the world. This is not how we have been shaped to think about our bodies. In fact, if... I were to ask nearly anyone inside or outside the church what their bodies are for, I would hazard a guess that the most common answer to that question would be it's for me. My body is the one thing that is unequivocally and unquestionably mine. But here in the first few verses of Romans 12, I think Paul is doing something very helpful. He's rewriting our own relationship to our bodies. And the shift that occurs as uh, the, the shift that occurs that we see here is that the answer to what's a body for is not it's for me, but rather it's for the other. To be clear, by saying your body is for the other, is not saying that you are not called to exercise authority over your own body. No one else should manipulate you to surrender the authority you've been given by God over your body. God has made you chief steward over the precious gift of your body. But where Paul is going is that this gift that we've been given of a body was given with some pretty precise instructions on how and when that gift is to be used. This is what Paul is teaching that I think it's helpful for us this evening as a church to grapple with. We're all together as the church, as the body of Christ, to be one living sacrifice presented to God on behalf of each other and the world around us. This must be at least the beginning of what it means for the church to be the body of Christ. When Christ makes us his own, When when we are incorporated by grace through faith into union with him as his body, which Paul is insistent upon, not just here in Romans 12, but throughout all his letters, Paul is insistent that the church is the body of Christ. Not mere metaphor, not, not simply some great analogy. Paul is very insistent that the church is the body of Christ. When when Christ makes us his own and incorporates us as his body we suddenly are not our own anymore. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 that he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. He goes on to say that you are not your own you are bought with a price. To be a member of the body of Christ for us is an admission an admission that individually we are not complete in ourselves, but that individually we are parts, members, as Paul puts it here, of one of another. Paul says it this way in verse 5 in front of you. We, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And I think, if we're honest, this is an incredibly different way to be the church in the world than many of us have aspired towards. Because it means that we refuse to live any longer as if our bodies and our bodily existence is primarily for ourselves. Instead, we offer up ourselves, our bodies, and our lives for one another as the body of Christ and for our world that is full of strangers to God's love in Jesus. I hope you're beginning at least to see how profound this living sacrifice is that Paul is saying is the church's spiritual worship, or in some translations, a more literal translation, the church's rational service. And as steep as that may sound to us, our bodies as living sacrifice, Paul knows precisely how upside down this living sacrifice is from everything that you and I know about life lived in a body. If we're honest... This living sacrifice business, if we'll sit with it this evening, is a frontal assault upon our sensibilities, isn't it? Our bodies as living sacrifice cuts against nearly everything we prize and hold dear about our own autonomy, about our deepest desires for self-fulfillment. And I think that this is why Paul follows quickly on the heels of his appeal to you and I to offer our body as living sacrifice with verse 2's warning not to be conformed to this present age. Would you hear verse 2 again? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, a word we've heard already in the text, and perfect. See, it has always been a tragic hallmark of this present age, broken and scarred by sin, for people created by God to believe and live as if their bodies and their lives were, belong to them alone. That is the story of the world. And human autonomy is at least the beginning of what it means, I think, especially as Paul points it out here in 12.2, following verse 1, human autonomy is at least the beginning of what it means to be conformed to this present age. See, the age, this present age language that Paul uses, squeezes and seduces us and presses us to believe and live as if self-actualization and self-fulfillment are an individual person's highest goal, and that that goal can only be achieved by absolute autonomy over our bodies and our lives. But if we're the body of Christ, if you and I are serious about what that means, then we see in Jesus that the kingdom of God actually comes to earth through a freely offered sacrifice. And this has to become a controlling metaphor for the church as the body of Christ in the world. It is Jesus in his own bodily sacrifice for the life of the world who transforms the sacrifices that you and I are called to offer on behalf of one another and the world around us and makes our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God a hallmark of the age to come. And, and as we make this living sacrifice, a signpost that points the, world, points the world around us to a world that is coming that will be restored and renewed. But we will never find ourselves offering up our bodies as living sacrifice if we are intent on grasping onto the message of this present age, which included Paul's day as well, that our bodies and our lives belong to us. Now, Paul, right here, as he moves into the practical, out of the theological in his letter to the Romans, is setting out for us a way to reimagine what it means to be the church. And it begins with his appeal to offer our bodies as living sacrifice. Your body, your physical existence and life is not primarily for you. It's for the other. It's a gift to you, but it's not primarily for you. And friends, we all desperately need to hear this. This happens to be a place where many of us in our culture are struggling. We are confused and struggling to know what our bodies are for. We've answered the question, what's a body for, with a resounding, it's for me. And I can neglect it, or I can obsess over it at my own discretion. My body, as my own, is my fundamental and unquestioned right. But if we are members of one body, then we have no such thing as autonomous independence. Our purpose, your purpose, is found in your relationship to one another. Now, on the surface, while it may not feel like it this evening... I think all of this talk of the body of Christ as living sacrifice is actually incredibly good news for us. It's incredibly good news because the loneliness and isolation and crushing anxieties that proliferate when we demand absolute sovereignty over ourselves are rapidly becoming the great pandemic of our age. Our neighbors and our friends are being crushed by the weight of it all. And I can't help but wonder if this is not the natural end of any people who instead of giving themselves away for the other as living sacrifice, have given themselves to cultivating a deeper sense and a tighter grip upon their sense of ownership over their bodies and lives. Well, all this may be true, and I think it is. We as the church, as the body of Christ, must resist the temptation to do what I've just done, and that is to merely describe and deconstruct the pandemic that we see in the broader culture. But instead, the church must eagerly and joyfully embrace our vocation as living sacrifice and intentionally drawing courage and strength from one another refuse to live conforming to the self-obsessing spirit of the age. When the church by the power of the Spirit can put our self-indulgent smartphones away and be bodily fully present rather than virtually distracted, when we can begin to be filled with this sort of imagination for what we are meant to do and to be in the world, when we as the body of Christ will habituate ourselves in the practice of offering up our own bodies and lives as one grand living sacrifice, it's then that the church will stand uniquely called and equipped to meet what you and I both see as the great darkness and dislocation of our age and meet it not with anxious fear but with humble confidence. Offering, welcome, and belonging that our neighbors and friends are desperate for, the life of And love of Jesus. And rather than becoming obsolete, which some in the church are afraid of, instead the church will become the very place where the world finds the healing and forgiving and restoring love of the sacrificial body of Christ. And all of this means that the church is living sacrifice the offering up of our bodies and lives for each other is actually nothing less than freedom and joy. Not because our bodies offered as living sacrifice does not include real cost and actual sacrifice. You can talk to our brother John and sister Sandy and family down here tonight if that's your notion. It's not that offering our lives as living sacrifice does not include real cost and actual sacrifice, but because the sacrifice that we are called to make as the church is a shared sacrifice, one body that is actually bringing real healing to the world. And we are members one of another. While the sacrifices we are called to make stand in some relationship to Christ's sacrifice for us, we're not repeating or replicating Christ's sacrifice. Christ's sacrifice is what it is because he was who he was. The struggle that Christ endured was a struggle of loneliness and alienation that ended in death. He alone could do what he did in his life and death and resurrection. Again, Christ's sacrifice was one that he had to make on behalf of his people all alone. In contrast, we, as Paul is teaching, are individual members of one body. And that means that the sacrifices that we make with our bodies does not end in death, but instead brings life and flourishing to the larger body, to the greater whole. And this is how our sacrifice, this is how your sacrifice becomes a living sacrifice. Our sacrifices, whatever they may be, never exact from us alienation from God. No matter how steep it may feel to you, you're never called to live in alienation from God as you offer your body as living sacrifice. Rather, all the sacrifices that we make as the body of Christ are always in the context of union with the resurrected and ascended Jesus. Jesus was cut off from His people and His Father in His sacrificial death. But as the body of the resurrected Christ, the church, is connected to our head Jesus by his unbreakable love for us. So sure is our connection to our head Jesus as his body that neither tribulation, nor distress, nor persecution, nor famine nor nakedness, nor danger, nor sword, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, any suffering you and I experience as we offer up our lives to the world never alienates us from our Father, but actually does just the opposite. It unites us in a greater way to our head, Jesus. Paul will say later on in Philippians 3 that the sacrifices that he himself made, you remember that passage where he lets go of all of his privileges and status, Paul will say there that those were the very things that brought Christ so near to him Brought Christ to him in such a profound and remarkable way that he called it gaining Christ. Brought him deeper and deeper into fellowship with Jesus. I hope that this can at least give us as the church a little bit bigger vision for the task we have in front of us as the body of Christ. Friends, people all around us are struggling to answer that question we began with, what's a body for? That question is at the center of all the questions about gender identity and sexual orientation. And that question is being asked with greater intensity by our neighbors, by our friends, and even by our own families. I hope that you can begin to see this evening that the church as the body of Christ has not just been given some words to speak into that discussion. But the church as the body of Christ has been given something utterly unique to do with our bodies in response to that question. But if within the church our habits and practices continue to answer that question, what's a body for, by emphatically stating that our bodies and our lives are for us, they are our own to invest as we please, then we lose the credibility and authority to offer as an answer the historic and healing Christian view of human sexuality, even though it is the right answer. But we lose the authority. We lose the credibility. Why? Because if, in principle, both the church and the culture are actually living as if our body belongs to us, then let's not pretend that my way of living for myself is more acceptable to God than your way of living for yourself. If my body and my life belong to me, then my autonomy cannot be credibly challenged. To the question our friends and neighbors are wrestling with about gender identity and sexual orientation and practice, the church, friends, must not simply parrot back the Christian view of human sexuality. We must do more. We must do more along with our robust theology of the body, we must embrace and embody a life that is offered up to the world as living sacrifice with the humble yet deep confidence that when we serve one another with our bodies and our lives, the church becomes a place of real healing in the world because Jesus himself is present in our midst. Who are you connected to here in your congregation sacrificially? Who are you serving? What gifts are you giving away to the, to the body of Christ? In what ways are you offering your life as living sacrifice? In verses 3 and following, Paul makes it actually very simple for us. We're not going to get into it this evening. But he says, you all have different gifts. Use them. Prophecy, service, encouragement, generosity, leadership, mercy, whatever gift God has given you, Paul is saying your gifts, like your body, is not primarily about you, and they're never strictly for you. They're for the body as a whole. In fact, your gift is a liability to you unless you are giving it away for the body of Christ. One word of caution as we seek to embody this. And I think that word is humility. Paul brings it up in verse 3 in the text in front of us. And then he brings it back up again in verse 16 of this chapter a little later. As we offer up our lives as living sacrifice... If that is your ambition, and and that is how we as a church are seeking to live, and I believe many, many, many of us are seeking to do this. Pride and haughtiness will always be there waiting to seduce us as we do this. If you're seeking to give yourself away for the life of the world, you probably already know what I'm talking about. See, the funny thing about this is that in those very moments that we are giving away our lives for the life of the world in living sacrifice, because we know that we're all members of one body, in those very moments we will be tempted to think of ourselves as better or as more highly than we ought to think, as Paul says in verse 3. How will you know that this is happening to you in your life as living sacrifice? How will you know that pride and haughtiness might be lying at the door ready to pounce on you? Here's just a few ways. Don't ask me how I know them. You'll be disappointed in how little you seem to be appreciated. You'll find yourself frustrated or even angry at how little others seem to be doing around you. Or you'll feel like so much depends upon you and your gifts in whatever context that you're serving. If any of that feels familiar to you, don't be discouraged. Rather, take heart. For to see these places in our hearts to be honest about them, and to find fresh mercy and love from God to transform us in our struggles is all very much part of what it means to offer up our lives as living sacrifice. Friends, my prayer for Westminster Presbyterian Church is the same as my prayer for Wheatland, and that is God would be pleased to take us his broken and struggling and selfish people and transform us into a church that is becoming more and more the body of Christ, a living sacrifice and place of real hope and actual healing for the world. May God be pleased to do that in this church by the power of his spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Lord, hear our prayer this evening. Draw us out of our selfishness, our self-obsession. Draw us out of our imagined autonomy and independence. And by the power of your Spirit, give us new and fresh ways to answer this question, what's a body for? with lives offered up as living sacrifice for one another and for the life of the world. Do this by the power of your spirit in the midst of your church. In Jesus' name, amen.